FYI, and I don't mean fake news, this podcast contains huge spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 349 of the podcast that goes snicked. It's me, your host, Jason Venable, and um, you know, a little bit of a, a different, very special, it's a very special episode, like the, you know, when, uh, you know, Punky Brewster tried drugs or whatever. <laughs> so I am actually not going to be on this episode, um, it's going to be uh, exclusively uh, the Scalabros, uh, Dan and Georgie sitting in to cover the latest Hickman X issues and you know I just want to say kind of just a word of how grateful I am for them you know we, we had a time set up to record and um you know due to I mean not that it's ever timely but uh it's kind of the untimely loss of my grandmother and I was having to travel for the funeral and stuff like that you know I thought about just rescheduling or pushing back but I don't know I just it felt like this time it was just it was right to let them kind of go on and and carry the episode instead of me kind of sulking <laughs> through it or being real morose um just now I get a chance to be really grateful and just talk about how much uh you know these guys mean to me and just you know it's funny in the, in the podcasting world you make lots of podcasting friends and, and they are definitely that but uh these two guys are also you know dear brothers and the bomb as Denise says and I was gonna say uh you know, dear brothers to me, and I just really appreciate them uh, stepping in and and taking over the episode. So it's going to be a really nice treat for you guys. Um, you know, and kind of a different podcast to go snake, or maybe you just want to look at it as a bonus Excalibur's episode. However you want to hear it, um, definitely listen to this and then go listen to more Excalibur's and hear more Dan and Georgie and uh, guys, from the bottom of my heart, thank you very, very much for, for stepping in and, and taking this episode over for me, and we will talk again soon. So without further ado, a special presentation by the Scalabros, episode 349 of the podcast that goes snicked. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the podcast that goes snicked. I'm your host, Jason Venable, and with me today is... Not Jason Venable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not Jason either. Uh, hey everybody, uh, we are Georgie and... Dan. From the... Excalibros. And we're here to sort of take over uh, uh, review coverage uh, duties from Jason while he's dealing with some, some family stuff, uh, which is, you know, sort of a, a sad thing to hear. But we're happy to jump in and, and talk about these interesting issues. So you're ready to jump into this, Dan? Yeah, I actually thought we were in the timeline where Jason wasn't around. So oh, is it like he doesn't exist anymore? Is that not Life 6? Oh, yeah, yep, yep, sure. Um, so I guess we have to be co-fathers to his children as well? Is that what's happening? Or does he not have a family yeah. anymore? Well, if it's Life 6, it's okay. He has a Life 7. seven to, <laughs> He'll be to back. Play around with. <laughs> it's fine. So today we're talking about uh, two uh, Hickman issues. We're talking about House of X number 1 and Powers of 10. <clears throat> number uh, sorry, number two for b- both of these issues. Um, Hawks Pox, 
Uh, rock your socks. Alrighty, so... Oh, also, didn't we... Weren't we going to, um... Because um, I said that I'd ask uh, Ian to look over the last two. Oh, yeah. See if it's like with new re- readers. And he gave us many, many responses. He did. You want to so, lead the discussion on that, Dan? Um, well, he's saying hi, but he's too shy to say anything out online on, on a... Hello! There he is. He says hi. Hey! He won't, he won't, he won't give... He, yeah, he's too shy. No, I just try not to interrupt. Oh, he's trying not to interrupt us. Would you like to tell us quickly, live... Or not live because it's pre recorded. <laughs> what you thought of House of X number one and Powers of X number one? House of X enjoyed the story, um, but it was quite confusing with how it jumped between um, events. Um, Powers of X was much easier to read, but it just wasn't quite as interesting for me. But that that was succinct and perfectly done. Yeah, so way go, more succinct than me. Yep, pretty much. You, you can now retire. You can. Thanks, Ian. Bye. Bye bye. That was awesome. Yeah, there you go. A third, a third, a third host like we're supposed to have when when we're all together. <laughs> uh, yes, as 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 a new X reader, he um like, like you said, he um preferred House of X even though it was a bit sort of not new reader friendly and um a bit confusing in places. Uh, but he preferred, preferred how Power of X, Powers of X was structured, but he doesn't like it as much. Right. Which, after listening and him sending all the comments, made perfect sense. It really then, does. Yeah. I uh, yeah, it was it was nice to have him. We had a little like Twitter discussion uh, as he was reading through the issues, so it was it was good to hear. I think a lot of, of what I've heard is from from other comics uh, fans is that they're everyone's confused about this. So the the feeling among people who are regularly reading was anyone can jump in because no one knows what's happening. But I guess what Ian is saying is, you know, one of these is a little bit easier to follow just because it's, I guess, more standard story structure. Yeah. Um, on his notes, because he wrote those notes, um, he was saying that he didn't mind the, like it helped with the, the, the infographs. Um, helped oh, right. Patch things up to speed in certain places. But he felt like you, like he didn't even know it was Xavier until um, Gene says, uh, hello, Charles, or hello, Xavier. Mm-hmm. In that one panel, because um, he thought it was because he's quite familiar with because um, in certain video games he plays, Cyclops wears that X, the X, the suit where it's like an X on his head. Right. So he generally was like, "Is that is that Cyclops?" <laughs> <laughs> like visually, and um, he didn't understand why Magneto like was alive in 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 the future. But after reading the 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 auxiliary materials, uh, it could be a clone and stuff, sir. So. So he read the materials that you didn't read. I read them. I just didn't care for them. Well, you said you didn't read them the last time we recorded. You were like, yeah, I just kind of skipped by through these. I, I sort of skipped, oh, skimmed them and skipped over them. I've gone back and read them. And okay. I, still, I still know that I don't need them. <laughs> you hear that, Hickman? We don't need all this designing, explaining stuff. No, no. So that's not me being weirdly arrogant or anything. It's just that because I, we have such a history with the X-Men, a lot right. of this, what has been read, feels like an a, a X-Men fan finally mm-hmm. going, right, I'm defining shit. This is my D&D table. Right. And I'm doing all the D&D background work. Um, I still don't think they work. If it, you, Right, so... Um, in the sword is drawn, to, to take it back to Excalibur... 
Ooh, stealing the show some more. Yeah, let's let's talk about Excalibur some more, Dan. So, like, in the side is drawn, and a few of the Excalibur issues, and especially like in the Epic Collections, at the end of of each of the Epic Collection and the, the side is drawn, it has like a little character bio mm-hmm. of different characters. See, although structurally, <clears throat> um, Hickman's uh, Wikipedia pages sort of work because they sort of uh, and like a and similarly material to what's just been read. Right. I still think if you just shove them all in the back, it'd still make more sense and not destroy the flow of the book as much. But that's just me. I know unless, a lot of people are... Unless that's kind of the point, is that he wants to break up the story in certain pieces, and he wants oh, yeah, the information we, for you at have, certain have, junctures of the story. Yeah, we heavily discussed the way on how it's read. Like, are we the librarians reading the library? That kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's all good but um, I read all of them this time don't worry I read them all this time there wasn't as many so it was easier right <laughs> there's just just a really long timeline see the timeline I really enjoyed that's the infographic stuff I love mm-hmm. kind of like um, you know there's Avengers in, in front of every issue there's that like diagram of who's in the issue because the little symbols lit up I just adored that for mm-hmm. no apparent reason. I was like, ah, this is lovely. But, um, <laughs> anyway, House of X. House of X, number two. Um, so on our creative team, we have, of course, Mr. Jonathan Hickman as the writer, Pepe Larraz as artist, Marte Gracia, color artist, who really is the star of the show for me for, for both of these issues. Um, I get What was that? I get you. Yeah. Uh, we have VCs Clayton Cowles as a letterer, and we have Tom Muller on for design, all that design work that Dan isn't into. And um, I on the cup, co- no, <laughs> no, I like the designs. I just think some of the knowledge is not necessary. I know people will argue to the hills with me, but I don't. I, just, I don't care. I know. I'm just teasing. Just teasing. And on the cover, we have of course Pepe Larraz and Marte Gracia. Um, so the cover to House of X number one is almost like a, a prism structure kaleidoscope of, uh, of different uh, characters sort of branching out from each other. And in the center are the different lives of Moira X, she's kind of calling herself now, uh, as she tries out different philosophies. Um, what, do, what do you think of this cover? Well, technically, we should probably discuss what Jason thinks of the cover, because he's so kindly like... Oh, we have notes. I was gonna, I was gonna have him, you know, bring him in uh, afterward. But we can start with him. Jason has oh. said, "quote <clears throat> I love this cover. The geometric design is rad. The color work is nice, and the fingerprint background elements make you wonder: Does that just look cool, or or will it play into the story?" See, uh, until he mentioned them, I generally I had to look really hard. But until he mentioned them, I was like, "Shit, there is fingerprints on every single one." Right, yeah, I didn't notice it either. <clears throat> That's some uh, uncanny um, detective work, or just being able to look at a picture and seeing things that aren't there, that are there, that we don't. Um, I think this is an amazing cover. I truly do. I just love how um, everything's like a, a opposed to each other. Right. Where all the, the Moira's is kind of like um, central to the image. Mm-hmm. Whereas... 
<clears throat> Xavier Magneto opposed, Gene and Scott opposed, Emma and Scott opposed, Gene and Emma opposed, Wolverine. You know what I mean? Everything's like the main star, as you will, has opposing viewpoints and uh, relationships. Right. Whereas the outer triangles have like uh, sort of Nimrod and the other future Sentinel um, apocalypse and himself in a tomb, I think that is. And then you have like Destiny and Pyro and the Mystique and Blob. So it feels more like some of the other elements are sort of not opposed, but together in the triangle. Right. It feels very purposeful. The whole thing feels. Oh, yes, for sure. Immensely purposeful. Um, But it's gorgeous to look at and it's so beautifully colored. Yes, it is. I, you know, I I think I already just said it like two minutes ago, but uh, Gracia is just killing it on, on both these books. Um, not to take anything away from from the pencilers, but uh, the color work on here is just uh, outshining everything. And you guys have basically said everything and anything I need to say about this cover. Uh, this is the third cover we've we've talked about for this intertwining miniseries, and they've all been, you know, I think excellent to one degree or another. Uh, but this has a nice uh, thematic element that uh, I think the others may not have had as much. But this is this is really nice. I, I can't remember the last time we talked, or as in the, the, the mutant uh, fandom has talked about Moira, but get ready because we're about to talk about Moira. Right. Before we talk about Moira, I think it's only fair that we talk about how we feel about Moira before this issue happened. <laughs> that, that's fair. How, how do you feel about Moira? Moira is three things to me that really annoyingly overly Scottish cartoon character <laughs> on the animated show like, oh Charles oh yeah. that's all she ever said over <laughs> and over again ad nauseum <laughs> and then Moira to me was the den mother of the Excalibur lighthouse for a long time and um, surrogate mother of uh, Wolfsbane which was always nice mm-hmm. and then Moira to me was the flippy floppy sidewinding allegiance cracking weirder that's been like hovering around Claremont's run like a spectre since she appeared. That's the three Moira's I know. <clears throat> so yeah. I don't have I've never <laughs> <laughs> I don't necessarily have different different Moira's in my, in my brain here but for me she's always been more of just like a, a background character who was important during the, the giant size sort of early Claremont days but whose importance has waned more and more as as they've continued, and it's... I don't want to say it's nice to have her back, because I don't really have a reading period in my history where she was at the forefront, but it's interesting for uh, Hickman to take a character who hasn't really been used in a while and sort of put this giant importance on her and and, and use her to change the trajectory of, of the, the, the story of the X-Men. So it was, it was kind of a surprise, is, is what this was to me more than anything. No. How are you going to do this to recap? Are you just going to recap each individual? <clears throat> Spoilers, there's many timelines. Um, each individual timeline, or are you going to recap the whole story as it flows? Well, let's, um, let's, let's see what happens. Okay, okay, I'm excited. So, don't be excited. I didn't prepare for this as much as I've... <laughs> How sad is this? I prepared more for the age of, of X-Men stories than I did for this. 
like I wrote out summaries, even though they were like snarky. I like put some work into that. Here it's like, all right, let's see what the good old brain, the good old noggin, can come up with here. Um, but I wanted to point out in the uh, the the front of this issue, we've got a quote uh, by Apocalypse. It says, "If you can find it in you to survive, if you are worthy, then I will make you into something more than them, something eternal." And you know, you mentioned I think last time we recorded Dan about uh, these books having purposeful and meaningful quotes at the beginning and I feel like this is equally meaningful for, for a number of reasons uh, like theoretical reasons on, on what's happening and what Apocalypse is doing but it also ties into um, what Moira might be doing, may not be doing and it just feels like it all fits and it's written in the character voices we'll get into that I think more in, in PO I, like, I, I also love Apocalypse's symbol where it also is an ape also looks like a person standing within a doorway <laughs> I love it. I think it's great. Oh yeah, what you actually like the design work? You're you're really flippy floppy yes. on this. I'm I'm just I'm all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> so in this wonderfully drawn and colored book, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, we find out that, uh, and what I do love is we got some fourth wall breaking here with more like talking to us, but it's not uh, the, the whole thing. It's like her as narrator sort of interjecting once in a while to let us know what's going on, which I thought worked really well. But we go through Moira as she discovers uh, that she's a mutant, and that her mutant power is uh, resurrection, and not in the, like, Buddha sense that I die and I'm reborn as a, a new person, but she is almost stuck in a time loop where she goes back to where she was born again and gets to, to try things over. Um, I don't know about you, Dan, but I've also... I've often thought about, you know, I'd like to go back and redo certain moments of my, my life. So this is uh, it's interesting to see that you uh, brought into X-Men storytelling. Um, but, we you know, she goes through different lives. She realizes that she's a mutant in her second life. And uh, in, in one of her lives, she decides that being a mutant isn't all that great because she has to keep, like, living all these lives. So she develops a cure. And... Um, She's found out by Mystique and Destiny and their band, and they sort of have a theological, sort of ideological argument about what they should do and shouldn't do and how they can find each other and, and, and uh, all the uh, sort of high concept uh, things that are happening to Mora here. Uh, she's killed, and then she comes back again and decides to experiment with all the different ways that she can help um, mutants thrive. So in her next life, she gets really close to Charles, and we see what looks like, you know, the universe we're used to seeing, which was the, the old school X-Men, and then we've got the giant size days, and then well, what was kind of a little backhanded, uh, uh, I don't know, compliment uh, to the recent books called the, uh, there's a panel with, it, it depicts Cyclops and Emma, uh, Namor, etc., when they were possessed by wow. the Phoenix, and calls it the uh, the Lost Decade, which was kind of a... I think a lot of people had a little chuckle online about that. Uh, but eventually she's killed by uh, Sentinels. And so she decides to start again. She meets Charles a little bit earlier. They develop a society, but still the Sentinels destroy them. So in her next life, she decides she's going to kill all of the Trasks uh, so that um, the Sentinels aren't uh, born. But it, it turns out that you know AI isn't something that is created but just sort of pops into existence naturally it just evolves so it's kind of a waste of life there uh, then her next life she decides she's going to try Magneto's way and uh, she rages with Magneto until the world's superheroes take them down 
Uh, then the next life, she decides she's going to try Apocalypse's way. And she becomes one of his heralds or maybe like a bride. I'm not really certain. It's not really explained. But uh, they, they try to take on the universe, and that doesn't work either. Uh, so the next time, she decides that she's going to break all the rules. And she meets up with Charles right after he sort of has his idea about mutant human cohabitation. And uh, it's where we get the, the second time... Uh, we get to see, or is this the first time, Dan? We see um, that that one page uh, layout. Time. Yeah, second time of Mara and Char- Charles, that. right, talking, and Charles reads her mind, and he sees all of her past lives. And then we get your your favorite infographic of all her different timelines. Uh, although it's been pointed out by so many people that Life Six wasn't talked about and isn't shown on here, so what's Hickman hiding? Which I mean, there's mystery built into this whole thing, but that's maybe the least interesting part of what's happening to me. Uh, the, like, what is? Or what could that be? What's what's really going to happen? Um, and and that's where this issue ends, Dan. Uh, this, I think, it is worth pointing out that uh, in the giant list of issues uh, for these two intertwining series, that this issue was highlighted in red. And we weren't really sure what that meant. We thought it was going to be something big or something life-changing. And it kind of was. I mean, we were a couple weeks removed, so I'm not, I don't feel it as life-changing now as when I first read it. But this was like a big, a big deal. What did, you, what did you feel about this whole issue as a whole? Well, <clears throat> I didn't read it before Georgie. And Georgie said to me, I want to know how you feel. Because um, <laughs> he was wondering. Because as people know, me and time travel not massive friends um yeah i said this was going to be a test for you and and not like (laughs) just a test to see if you could get past the idea of time travel whereas this isn't traditional time travel Mm -hmm. um this is this is not to be like oh hickman's amazing this actually feels different because we haven't seen it all that often groundhog day kind of style time travel Mm -hmm. Uh, and it does fit into like the thematic idea of like well apocalypse is survival of the fittest um which obviously uh, his uh, little quote pre- pre- is a precursor to what we what the revelation of Moira being a mutant which fundamentally changes everything we know about the x-men's like history mm-hmm. and um i found it <laughs> i also find it not to like diss anyone that's like oh that's x timeline but I'm also like, um, surely the stuff that's in the comic is far more important and more interesting um, <laughs> than just like one timeline's missing. Who gives a shit? Because I know a lot of people are probably theorizing that the timeline that House of X is in is the sixth timeline that we're watching, which right. it can't be actually. So, like, what we're seeing develop and what will be the books might be the last timeline, which is what we're seeing in uh, Time X Zero um, in Powers of X. So right. Everything else, everything else isn't that timeline. It's all timelines. I see. And it can get messy. Yeah. But I like to think that it is pure straightforwardness <coughs> and that everything we have witnessed and everything we have read as comic books, Generation X, Excalibur, um, X-Factor, um, all of it is all her fi- the timeline the last her, her most recent life right and um we are going to see timeline zero her direct manipulation of this which brings us to timeline 10 or um x year 10 
which is um, brings us to the house of, and this was the plan that they had all along, which is fascinating to me. Um, and if you can pull it off, will be the greatest retcon I've seen in comics in a long time. <laughs> uh, like I generally haven't seen a good retcon in a long time, but this could be like the one that works as a device. Not only is it a retcon, he's made a retcon much like. I know people don't like it, much like the Star Trek 2009 film, Mm -hmm. which made the retcon part of the storyline, part of the plot. Right. made the retcon part of the plot here. And um, individually, the lives are fascinating. She first meets Xavier, he's a jerk. (laughs) I mean, right on. She she read him off the bat right away. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's obviously that really horrible timeline where she died in a plane crash when she was going to see him like... She was going to see him, so some of the time, some of the, the the lives are kind of wasted in a in a in certain aspects. I love the fact she tried apocalypse, and I love the fact she tried um, uh, Magneto. And then she's she basically Carl. yeah. I mean, Destiny and her have that that talk about you know as a scientist, what would you do to like test out what works? And she said, well, I'd, I'd try every option and here she's tried you know all the viewpoints we've seen in x books up to now there's the charles view there's the magneto view there's the apocalypse view there's also like the human view of like the cure you know what i mean so she's tried like all these different options i love to think that the um the x-men one which is like the originals the uncanny and then the lost years i like the fact that that actually directly links into days of future past that, right. That time. That's literally that timeline, almost. Like everything's the same until that moment in time. Um. So it's quite, like, sort of semi-fascinating to see which one would be the 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 right thing to. To like, do. Um, to do, yeah, and. I think it's all beautifully depicted, uh, by the art team. It's just absolutely oh. stunning, and. Yeah. I think. It feels like such a big like you've you've had three issues that flip everything on its head constantly. In, in <laughs> like powers of ten, maybe not as um, significantly as both of the house specs and so um, <clears throat> everything is coloured to what we now think of Moira. So now when we read the rest of the books, everything sort of will will feel very different, and it it kind of changes a lot of subtle things about this relationship between Moira and Xavier and if Magneto does know all of this, did they purposely pretend to have a go at each other all these years? Yeah. I wonder if maybe Charles did some like mind mind stuff so that they would forget until a certain point or, you know, some something like that. Yeah, but um It's very whole, complicated either way. Yeah, on the whole, I like that it challenges you, um, but I also like it's grounded in emotion. Like the whole thing's grounded in failure <laughs> and in like human error and a, a, like personal accomplishment and this sense of sort of striving to do the right thing, um, but often the right thing just isn't working out, even if it seems like the right answer. Mm-hmm. Like trial and error is such a great. It's such a great sort of idea. Um, it is. It is. And making destiny significant again is just right. as important as making Moira significant. Oh, that scene again. is just so delicious. 
It is. It's like the best scene in the book, to be fair. Yeah. I mean, Jason says, uh, the scene with Destiny and Moyo is great. A little exposition-y, but in an organic way uh, that provides different motivations for characters. And seeing her in that, that mask again, <laughs> like we haven't seen that in, I can't remember how long. But uh, yeah, her and Mystique together and the part where she's like, yeah, we're going to kill you, but we're going to make sure that you remember how painful this was. It's so it, it's hard to... You know, I think later on, Destiny became more of a sympathetic character, a less less sort of uh, gray slash evil character. But here, she's like full on. Oh, well, you're gonna pay. Huh? I'm gonna make sure you pay. Yeah, she's um, she's good. She's a good villain. Mm. I like the fact that she can see multiple timelines. Right. This this book is is super gorgeous. We've we've spoken on it a little bit, but even uh, f- especially like the, the layouts. I, I love how their conversations are, are broken up into just like nine panels on a page. But then we've got the the two pages where she's hunting the trasks, and we've got the angular panels like uh, like focusing, not focusing, but like attaching to each other from left page to right page and branching out and seeing how maybe like the bullet from here causes something over there to happen it's it's super lovely and the the other pa- uh, page i really want to mention is when magneto is being uh, defeated by all of earth's heroes and it shows them all almost like falling down but they're really jumping up into the sky at him right but the point is that yeah. he's failing so he's falling into the sky it's, it's so interesting and it's just all those bright, wonderful light colors. Yum, yum, yum. I just want to eat this book up. It's so delicious. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is a true, like, sort of... <clears throat> it feels like a book that you need to experience um, um, to um, sort of truly get it. Yeah. I think you can only, you can only explain it so much to, um, to people. Be like, oh, it's a really good like chapter blah blah redefines x-men blah blah but to experience it 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 plays kind of like a poem Mm. um like and i know it's been compared to a book like he's been he's been told um that he's a plagiarist (laughs) Uh, there's this whole thing where someone offered a book that he likes um which is the many lives of someone else i can't remember and um someone's like it's basically the same and i'm like "Mm." Fair dues, but it, like in typical Hitman fashion, um, the book itself feels like it's moving on its own sort of rhythm. Right. Whereas the last one was kind of like a, a, a the band warming up. This feels like the the, the first suite of his sort of composition. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I just like the way it sort of kind of just keeps moving forward and up. As opposed to like has troughs down, it's a constant like recycle uh, recycles a note, but never the narration never feels like it's recycling itself. That makes sense. It does. Yeah, I don't but feel anyway. any, I don't think any, no. <laughs> I, it's I, it, I was silent because I was agreeing with you. I mean, um, there are no down down parts to this. It, it feels like we're we're continually building to, to something interesting. I, I didn't lose interest at any point uh, of this issue. Remember, you know, a number of panels I want to talk about, like, uh, I mean, I talked about a, a few already, but I think another one worth mentioning is when Mora first meets Magneto and he's in, like, 
what appears to be Namor's throne room because there's a giant octopus behind him. Is is uh, you know all these other details going on here? Is I don't. You can just flip through this thing again and again and again and again and and be astounded by uh, what the art team has done, uh, even without story. Yeah, the the book looks insane. It generally is just the most ridiculous thing. Like Pepper the Raz is a really phenomenal artist. It's nice that he's been given such a massive canvas to work with. Oh yeah. Like I hope he hasn't landed on any of the issues on the other side of House of X, has he? I don't know. Like, I don't remember. I hope he lands on some sort of X book at some point. <laughs> like well, uh, he said that there's there's going to be more X books. Uh, uh, Hickman has said, and there was that giant like roster of characters, and half of them haven't even been used yet. So maybe, maybe he'll show up. Uh, no, right in a, uh, a, a phalanx related book or, or a. Uh, a Moira book. Who knows? Jesus Christ. Yeah, because Moira is not accounted for. Um. <laughs> but um, there are a couple things that I think I want to get to that Jason has mentioned. Uh, first off, he said the art, striking, dynamic facial expressions, Gracia's colors explode, and the art is lively. Uh, the different scenes of Moira meeting or not meeting Xavier at the pub uh, in Oxford. You can almost hear the social chatter and the clinking of glasses and plates. Uh, another beautiful issue. And so, yeah, I think we totally agree with that. Yep. Um, he also mentioned story-wise, uh, we knew something was coming with Moira, but it still surprised me, and I quite like it. Also, this is a great chapter for Hickman's X-Epic, which is kind of difficult to say, but it also works as a standalone time travel movie script, which I agree, like, this on its own merits. This was, like, a, a nice issue. I didn't feel like, oh, what's going to happen next? Even though I want to know what happens next, it was a nice, like, full meal of, of Moira, if that makes any sense. No, totally. It's a concept that easily, easily works into a standalone concept. The other thing that he um, wanted to talk about uh, or brought up was the idea that AI is a discovery and not an uh, invention. Um, what did you think of that? Well, isn't that the whole point of like, is it, I can't remember what the, the term for the... Uh, singularity? Yeah, the singularity. Isn't that the whole point where it's predestined rather mm -hmm. than someone's just going to randomly... It's not the... Even Terminator goes into... Even James Cameron does this. <laughs> where, um, like, it's, it's not one you mean, person... You mean master it. storyteller James Cameron, right? Yes, yes. Um, not to, no, to be fair to him, he did do a lot. But anyway, um, not to say that... You, it's not the invention of one man. Um, it is the natural conclusion of technology, like the right. natural next, the next step. Which I generally am totally. That is a concept that I'm totally and utterly on board with. Um, it makes perfect sense in, and the way that um, it ties into Powers of X, where yes. um, we see uh, a master mold satellite around the around. A Massimo satellite enslaved by humanity to then see a Nimrod who has subjugated humanity to then see um, a like much like technology, they go smaller by the way. So you've got this giant Massimo, then it's Nimrod, and then it's tiny flying Nimrod. Right. Much like the mimicking of what technology has done anyway. So um, it kind of t ties in fully with that concept. Mm hmm. Um, 
so it's it it's working on so many levels so many levels it really is i think for for me and maybe part of the reason ian liked uh, this issue more than than pox is that this is that sort of traditional storytelling and even though there are some high concept parts to this the really expansive story that hickman is is working towards and the one that's maybe a little bit more interesting to me is, is the pox issue and we can get into that uh, a little bit more details uh, when when we we cover that issue but um, is there anything else you want to talk about for for uh, house of extent any panels any color work any any expressions or, or phrases any um, anything you want to expound upon um, I think we've all said the same thing I think um, uh, visually it's like a tapestry uh, every moment feels like it's a moment in history as opposed to that sounds ridiculously over over hyperbolic uh but it feels like a, like a moment in history as opposed to a comic book panel mm-hmm. like you're like we are witnessing specific historical moments which i kind of i, I kind of dig it makes it it fits with the whole idea of the book but yeah yeah i really now i'm just thinking about the the comment you made where uh we see more on charles die after the last decade and it in the Days of Future Past timeline, and how maybe that's, that's that's what that was, and we're always talking about characters coming from different futures for X Men, and how this sort of makes all of that relevant as well. Is really, you know, someone in a, in the chat I'm talking about said that Hickman doesn't ignore continuity; he takes all these pieces, even things we don't find interesting, and I think we'll get to that in, in Powers of X, and brings them in and makes them all important and, and shines new light on them. So I, I really appreciate that. Uh, as we're moving forward in this story as well. So, uh, what do you want to rate this? I'm going to give it five out of six. I think um, it's not quite perfect. From There are still moments where it feels like there was a little bit more sort of expected payoff rather than actual payoff. Mm-hmm. that makes sense? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's such a high five that <clears throat> it might, you know, it may, it may, it may get to a six again. I feel like a, a five out of six in this book could be like a seven out of six on a lot of other books. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like a ten out of six. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, compared yeah, to like if you have the gold standard, like you right. then this is like the Hickman standard. Right. Exactly. We're, we're judging him in a whole different scale. So on that scale, I, I, I'm kind of with you. I feel like partially because POX worked with me a little bit more than HOX. So yeah. maybe I'll give this like a five, five and a half out of six. But man, I mean, we just like expounded upon this issue for like 30 minutes. So it's not like we didn't love almost every little nook and cranny of this 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 lovely uh uh, bagel we just ate here it's uh it's an excellent book and we're just super happy that we get what four more of these uh house of x so yum 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 we got we got lots of meals coming up dan i guess listeners can probably tell i'm a little hungry I haven't had lunch yet so oh <laughs> so there's that <laughs> uh so jason also says Six out of six claws for me really intrigued me and kept me in it every panel and every line of dialogue. So, uh, you know, second time we're talking about these issues, uh, I guess it's uh, four weeks, but for a month of 
we're basically a month out of uh, that uh, horrible Uncanny run and the Age of X-Men run, we have really turned the corner into something quite amazing. So it's, it's lovely to talk about. It truly is. Um, so that means... That means we're on to... Powers of Ten. Um, to the power of ten. Uh, which is, we are together now, you and I. Which is a really nice uh, title, if you, if I don't say so myself. Um, and we have writer Jonathan Hickman, artist Arby Silver, inkers Arby Silver and Adriana Di Benedito, colorist uh, Marty Gracia, uh, letterer Clayton Cowles, and Tom Mueller as design. And on the front cover is kind of like. I feel like um, Powers of X is going to do this a lot more, which is going to be like yes. shots of characters. Mm-hmm. Um, we have um, shots of characters, and in the background we have a lot of what I would like to say uh, Krakoa in the background, but we have Emma with an amazing um, sort of fairy collar. <laughs> yes, yes. A bust, of, uh, a bust of Emma. We have um, Toad crouching. We have Mystique with her gun. We have Minito in all white pointing well hands gesturing and we have a very beautiful looking saber right. to be fair it's like I the best it. he's looked in a long time Jason says it's it's jazz hands magneto which I love yes and that saber looks like a lion which yes. is also in the, <laughs> and that the, um, Toad is spotting uh, Beetle's hair which I fully approve yes so, <laughs> I mean, this is a gorgeous um, cover. It really is. I I love the colors. I love the fact that there's uh, the juxtaposition between color as background and white as character. Um, mm, mm. All but Toad, obviously. Toad's like super shattered as well. He's like um, full on, got some hatch inking and everything all over him. Um, so he's a little different to everyone else. But I generally think this is a beautiful character um, cover, and I like the sort of the pro- predominant use of X on the cover around like very classical X-Men villains and then mm-hmm. to the sort of, to the sort of all right that's a good point this, these are all sort of classically you know Claremontian uh, villains so it's interesting to have you know a lot of these characters have sort of made that turn back to being part of the, the family you know what I mean yeah and it is nice to see see them all up and about mm. um, so <clears throat> we start with a Nice little quote from Magneto, um, <clears throat> which is kind of like, I feel like I can hear it in Ian McKellen's voice. Sure. Um, oh, before we before we move forward, I want to say uh, we we talked a little bit about last uh, book, and and this I think fits really well with some of the conversations. But Hickman has the voices down for these characters. Like when Charles speaks, it feels like Charles. Magneto feels like Magneto. Apocalypse feels like Apocalypse. It's it's wonderful. It is nice to hear someone actually write people normally, um, or familiarly. Anyway, <laughs> so I'm I'm gonna um, I'm gonna be sort of not because I think there's a lot to dig in here. So I'm gonna yeah. just sort of cliff notes the the beats of the story. Sure. And we'll um, we'll we'll jump into each time period. Okay. So in year one, <clears throat> Magneto um, lives in the Shiraz Crystal Palace. It would seem, and. Um, Charles and Moira go to talk to him. They have a nice little chat, and um, Magneto so 
that panel where the cape is like burnt pink mm. like the stitching is just the most beautiful thing but yes um magneto and xavier do the old stick which i think is intentional where he can't trust him but like you know charles is like please just one just one last time and um <laughs> they, they show they show him his futures per se and um Charles does the we need to stand together and actually sort of make a thriving mutant community and with that in in the in with that idea and the fact that Magneto is like, I will keep you in check, they shake hands. Then uh, we move over to the future and there's a nice little boardroom meeting between Cyclops, Magneto and uh, Xavier. Where we find out um, what the infograph told us about Orcus before, where they're made up of AIM, Hydra um, exa- for example, and that Master Mold is what they're using, and they found that the um, blueprints are to make Nimrod, which obviously, to the X Men, they've met Nimrod a few times, in, right. who's come from the, from the future to the past, and like, shit, we can stop it here and there. And um, I agree with um, Jason. Jason says Cyclops, uh, quotes Cyclops doing the air, uh, does it need doing? And it'll be done is one of the most badass things he's said in a long time. Oh yeah, um, Hickman gets Scott, and I truly agree with him. Also, that panel of him saying it with the red, the two red eyes, just both red eyes. Yep, beautiful. The the sun behind him shining. Oh yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely divine. Um, and it's nice to see the three heads of the X Men. Um, so. Stood there because mm-hmm. Magneto was obviously like a a, a a confidant to Scott while he ruled the X Men for a long time. He was uh, also, you know, leader of the X Men when Charles was off in space doing his rehab. So they've they've got history. So it's really nice to see all these people together, and um, that's basically all that we get from like present day mm-hmm. year ten. Then we jump into the future to year one hundred. And we have Grumpy Wolverine um, going on about how nothing's going to happen. But the big kicker is we find out two things. In the future, the X-Men are led by Apocalypse, which... Makes sense. Makes sense, and it's definitely a sort of... Oh, okay. Not a massive, like, Moira is a mutant and has been manipulating everything from day one. It's not that much of a giant leap. Right, when I mean, we saw her in the previous issue, you know, Link with Apocalypse, it would make sense for her to be like, look, I don't just need Charles and Magneto together, I need Apocalypse working with us as well. Yes. So, we have Apocalypse, and then we move to um, Nimrod, who is extremely like Kylo Ren. Or, um, <laughs> uh, he does not like being back chatted to, so he just nukes some humans, and then just carries on talking to the skull um, wondering why the mutants were trying to get information then we find out that the plant man wasn't Black Tom Cassidy, it was actually Kokoro itself um, and that they're sort of it's Kokoa and Doug Ramsey merged isn't it essentially is that what you got? Yeah, because the part of him says there's a mutant inside that could understand, communicate with anything. Right, right, right. Wants to to a mutant. So it's kind of like, I feel like it's both. Yeah, and, right. And Robert, we, saw, we saw Doug really communicating with 
um, Kokoro in the first mm-hmm, aspect. Mm-hmm. Makes like a, um, I do like that Zorn, who used to be hopeful, is like a nihilist now. <laughs> well, this is Ultimate Zorn, right? Is Ultimate Zorn yeah. a nihilist? He is quite angry, it would seem. Um, but I do like the fact that their missions entwine with the past, where the past is to go stop um, the creation of Nimrod. And this is to sort of like go and maybe change his protocols. Right. So it was quite an interesting um, parallel. I do like Wolverine's future um, look as well because he's all like super buff and the brown make really works for him. But yeah, so we have a lot here and um, Apocalypse will lead the, lead the strike uh, or, the, or the mission because it's a suicide mission. Mm-hmm. Then we find out about something called Nimbus, which is essentially... Um, a collective it ends up being a collective consciousness consciousness and and evolves itself into a world mind the only other time i've heard the word world mind was with the nova core um i can't remember any other world mind in the same sort of idea where it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a depository of information that becomes an artificial intelligence um so we we jump into the future and the librarian and little nimrod are just chatting about sort of did it work? Um, usually, we only like attract universal predators, but we wanted uh, something else, and hopefully, making Nimbus would attract what they wanted. And they did attract something which I didn't expect to see. Me neither. That- this was a big like. Oh, Hickman is pulling from every past, present, future storyline here. Yes, um, it's the phalanx, but not like anything we've ever seen. Spotting some sort of uh, Proxima Midnight headdress. Um, the phalanx come and talk about how they've eaten their world mind and ask what these guys want and they want ascension and then we have excuse me <coughs> cough because there's lots to go on um, we have a types of sort of artificial planetary societies uh, described with like a machine hive intelligence like the supreme intelligence of the Kree Empire um, technarchs the world mine or world mines and then the phalanx at the end where each it's the more <clears throat> robots the more intelligent the bigger the sort of consciousness and then right, have right. A, nice a nice little diagram which makes it super easy to um figure out basically put them all together and you get a phalanx at the end that's essentially the diagram mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and then we end with professor xavier uh telling us that there is only us we are together or we are nothing which kind of which is direct feeds into the idea that uh, a machine consciousness from one right only becomes something when it is multiple um so he's playing with this the idea of um unity not only as mutant species coming together to fight for their survival not only as humanity coming together to fight for their survival but as artificial intelligence is coming together to become to ascend to become greater than the sum of its parts right and i think that really Um, ties into what we saw previously in in powers of x was the library which was the collective knowledge and quote-unquote consciousness of all the past mutants located into one depository right which is almost like the mutants ascending that way yes it is a lot of ascending a lot of evolution Mm um playing with the usual x-men trope of evolution but in very different ways playing not with mutants per se but with their enemies um 
than anything technological. Right. Uh, <clears throat> I think there's a lot to, to talk about that. I think it's interesting to, to look at uh, some of the dialogue between Mora and Charles and, and Magneto, where Mora says, um, I believe the one thing I haven't tried yet, all of mutantdom as one, is the one thing that means more than just surviving. So, and then they also say that they have a long... Uh, they're playing the long game where if they're talking about a thousand years in the future with all the mutants together in like one repository that's playing the, the long game I, I kind of feel like that might be where like that is what they're all leading towards uh, not to get too like into the weeds on what's going to happen but it feels like you know we might be onto something that way yeah and um <clears throat> to start dissecting it, um, truly, uh, Jason talks about like the first sequence, um, mm-hmm. asking how an early union between Xavier Magneto and Moira changes everything. Is it an alternate timeline? He doesn't think it is an alternate timeline, but he does have questions. Right. He just wants to know what we're thinking. I'm sticking with the fact that it, I want it to. I want it to be straightforward. So I'd be annoyed if it's an alternate timeline. <laughs> I think. I just wanted to be like shooting straight. Uh, I like that it changes everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels different and lovely. It would be. I, I can see it going two ways. That this is something that truly happened in the timeline we've been reading uh, up until now, and it makes it. It does sort of illuminate and put a lot into question. Uh, there's that way it could go, or that I've heard a lot of people talk that. House of X powers of X are going to culminate in uh, like a, a, re, a restart of all the X Men history, where none of this is, matters because they're going to, in the far future, recreate everything again. Uh, so what we're seeing is kind of meaningless. Which I feel, is, I don't want to read that story. <laughs> it's kind of why I'm also hopeful that what we're reading right now is what really happened. And it, I love, yeah, I love the idea. Read a story where everything is meaningless. I mean, yes, we've just done that with it a number of times. But I love the idea that like Charles and and Magnus and Moro are like, look, we got this super long plan. We're gonna put into effect, and we're all gonna buy into this, and it's gonna mean a lot of craziness in the next ten years. We're gonna be friends, and I'm gonna kill you, and you'll kill me, and we'll come back, and we'll do this and do that. But in the end, it all sort of culminates in in whatever they're trying to do, which I feel like probably won't be just mutants over humans. It's gonna be something more balanced um but uh it's it's super interesting either way yeah i think it's a bold forward yes yes um but it's all about how far it goes Mm -hmm. Um, to, to be fair the modern day stuff is pretty straightforward it's just a briefing on a mission but because Magneto and uh, we now have the knowledge that Magneto and Xavier have been working together for decades, right? Uh, it feels like they've been planning this moment for ages, and they're just waiting for the right moment of opportunity mm-hmm. to send Scott on this mission, right? Um, well, not specifically Scott, but to send someone on that mission. It also makes me feel like the Brotherhood and the X Men were handpicked specifically for the conflicts they would have in the future exactly exactly um so that changes a lot um did you ever sorry to, to go on a, a side note here was there ever a show in england 
in like the late eighties, early nineties called My Two Dads. My Two Dads. I don't. I don't remember. The premise of the show was there's this like teenage girl, and uh, her her mother had her or whatever, but didn't know who the father was. And then she dies, and then the mother's will like leaves her to like both of these two men who could possibly be her par- her her father. So they all decide they're gonna live together as one happy family. So it's it's her with her two dads, um, and it just when I saw Scott talking to Charles and Magneto, I just felt like it's it's Scott and his two dads uh, talking things out. So yeah, that yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. <laughs> there was a long reach to get to something that wasn't really important to talk about, but that's where we are. It's it's okay. It's important to its own people. Um, the future makes sense that it's apocalypse and the survival of the fittest, meaning that the most powerful mutants exist with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, um, the whole plan is really straightforward. The stuff with Nimrod basically is just upping Nimrod's sort of humanity and constantly showing him that he's an over emotional robot. It's super emotional. <laughs> Um, and I love that the moment where he's like you know there's rumors out there I can't lie but I love to lie I would much rather be lying to you idiots than talking to you straightforward right now it was so so much emotion in that robot yeah I, I generally do like it I like him um, it's quite fun that like um, there's such like a sense of hopelessness in um, that that particular future yeah um, and I do like the fact that the like sort of it just feels that feels like this the typical dystopian X Men future, mm-hmm. and then and then Hickman is basically what he did was move past that future. No one ever really goes past that future that often. Right, right. So when we do get to like um, year one 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 thousand, um, and we have like uh, the librarian. And all these other people who are just waiting to ascend uh, using the phal- phalanx, which I really like the the way it comes down, kind of like almost like an embryo. Yeah. Um, and then just the color work and just the general work on those pages of them uh, forming, much like Jason says, you, um, they're just beautiful um, to behold. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just I kind of like, and I like the fact that like the futures language is almost a mishmash of many other languages and right. one um and like the <clears throat> obviously the ending supplementary material feeds into the idea of all right so this is what ascension is and how far they want and humanity this piece of earth's population wants to get further in life than just be these blue fleshy bags um librarians to a to a dead dead history right um and i feel like but at the same time i feel like it's until the phalanx turn up it's so far removed from everything else other than nimrod being there that it almost feels inconsequential which means it's going to be super important right um, at the end yeah the yeah <laughs> um, where we find out what that one librarian is actually moira or something ridiculous like that. or the fact they're all blue skinned is because they're the offspring of apocalypse right I mean, there's we can get into like theory, theory stuff that fits theory. There's the sarcophagus behind Apocalypse. So who's in that? Probably Moira, uh, right? Um, yeah. All, all these sort of things. Why did they want to ascend with the like sort of merge 
Ascension is like merging with the flanks, right, to become something greater. But why do they want to do that? Is that really their plan to become one with the flanks? Or is, are, are they taking over the flanks? All these sort of questions in the background. But I, I don't know if, if that really need to dive in and dissect that because there's so much conceptually happening that's super interesting. Yeah, people seem to be very obsessed with, like, people don't live in the now with these books. I know. They live in the, the future. Is that <laughs> what's, like, but what's a, happening a, a, next? It, I feel like that's Lost's fault somewhat. Aww. <laughs> like, like, I feel like people are too busy wrapped up in the, the answer of the mystery rather than appreciate the, the yeah. meal they have in front of them. Um. Mm-hmm. They're all like those kids that just like don't care about like this really beautiful meal. They just want the ice cream at the end. Um, <laughs> like they're so impatient. They don't even want the ice of... cream. They want like whatever treasure is hidden at the bottom of the ice cream cone. They, they... Yeah, they, they, yeah, they don't even care about that. As long as it, and then as, as long as it fits within their narrative ideas, right? Um, and they won't like kick off and have a hissy fit. Um, but anyway, as as artistically. Yes, let's talk about um, the artwork, I, please. Last time, I think I, if I remember correctly, I think I preferred Powers of X over you did. of X, but they're very two different things. This time, I'm I'm, I'm the other way around. <laughs> mm-hmm. I agree with you that the colorist is the key to both issues. I think the depiction of Moira's lives and the sort of um grand historical scope of that mm-hmm. sort of outweighs the very sim- sort of simple it's not simple artwork the simple meetings it's just a series of meetings right that's all this is um conceptually and i think the phalanx are the most interesting visual in the book uh but that world is really bland to me the future is really bland um visually uh, which may, is obviously purposeful that it's some sort of clean, bland society. I think the post-apocalyptic apocalypse world um, has moments. I think the character work is much better in the first two chapters, the uh, first two parts, like um, visually. And I think the color work is better with the sort of warm yellow um, colors of the war room that Xavier Magneto and Cyclops are standing in. And the, and the general like coloration of the first part just looks lovely. The the whole like outlying magneto and different colors is always a great joy. Um, and I do think this is a weaker weaker book than Moira's, and it's not because of the big revelation. It's more to do with I think Moira's is just a stronger sort of narrative. Um, oh yeah, and it has yeah. Strong, it has stronger dialogue. There's less narrative going on here. It still feels like setting up pieces or like giving hints to to what's to come, but it's it's playing with. For me, why I enjoy it so much is it's playing with these giant ideas. It just allows my brain to just ruminate on on what might be coming and, and what he's he's saying here. Oh yeah, for sure. I think also half my problem is that um, I have become. I've read it four times now, and I'm I'm trying my hardest. Uh, but I am far more invested in year zero and year 10 mm-hmm. than I am in year 100 and year 1,000. That could change. But I feel like no matter what we get from, for me, whatever we get from year 100 and year 1,000, I don't feel like 
at the moment they sow the seeds that make my mind go ooh, whereas the other two do. Um, right. We're getting yeah, so I mean, so little of the, those time periods as well. Yes. I think I, usually I'm really into the future stuff and not into the past changing stuff, but the Moira thing has really changed the landscape. So mm-hmm. I kind of want to see the past be fucked with. And I kind of like... I, I want to see more of now. That's my thing. I want to see more of Kokoa and Xavier's mission now. I think um, we'll get so that... Like, Oh yeah, we definitely will get that. But I'm like, I want it now. <laughs> but um, that's not fair to the book. The book is like, if we're jumping in with, um, I don't, uh, I'll jump in straight away with a rating of it's 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 got the, it, it's got the same rating, but it's a lower five. Does that make sense? Yeah, they're both fives, but this is like a lower five. I do prefer House of X um, this time round. Oh. Well, maybe I did last time, but I prefer House of X this time round overall. Um, to powers of 10. So I want to say powers of X all the time, but people keep correcting me. Right. Um, but visually, it's just a, the birth just gorgeous. Right. I at. love, we talked about the colorist and how they're able to maintain some fluidity between the two books, but I love how for this book that's more con- concerned with the future, the, the colors pop more. Uh, it's, it's, it's a brighter, shinier uh, piece of artwork that we're looking at uh, in these pages, and I, I love that about here. It feels very futuristic. They really nail that, you know. Um, it's it's, and I, I, you mentioned how we go from like colorful and, and warm down to like blander colors until the end. It was just like this dark blue and purple, and and it feels very bland, but you know, purposefully so. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just super. I, I'm going to go six out of six on this one because uh, I don't know, just the ideas of everything. I'm super excited about the, the future and what's going on there. And maybe it's just me being really into sci-fi that that's over inflating um, my rating here a little bit. But I, I just I'm all about that sci-fi shit. So, um, Jason, what did Jason say about the artwork? Um, Jason had um, quite nice, enjoyed the classic Xavier eyebrows, an arrival of the Technarch and or Phalanx. All the colours by Gracia were once again brilliant. Another good looking book. For sure. For sure. He said the story was a good balance of questions and answers, some great moments, still like the more straightforward structure of breaking the time periods instead of interweaving them, even if it did seem to slow some of the momentum. I agree. I think it was the best decision Hickman has ever made or his script or whoever made this decision to just go, do you know what? We will just do it one at a time in that order, (laughs) in the order of time. Yeah. (laughs) Could you imagine that jumping around? I'd be like, no, I've had enough. That would would confuse the hell out of me. Yeah. Jason also mentioned that he loved uh, how uh, the apocalypse speak, uh, which is great. And he had to mention because this is the podcast that goes snicked. That uh, he loves that a hundred years has only made Wolverine even grumpier, which was hilarious. Yes, and that that brown and orange costume, which I think Jason and I both prefer, it looks they they really put like a lot of meat on Wolverine, and he feels like a little bit uh, shorter, uh, stumpier a little bit here. So I, I I like that about him as well. Or his comment was like, "Man, I wish I was born with brains. It was so perfect." Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Yeah, because it, it kind of hints the fact that they are like, um, is it really the real 
real deal or or not. Mm-hmm. It's one of the Sinister's many, many, many clones. Who knows? Which but... I think everyone's like, oh, they're all Sinister clones. It's all, it's all right. All of Rosenberg's X-Men stuff is real. They're all still dead. <laughs> like... I literally saw someone happy that <laughs> that's a fit that might be an option, and I laughed. It's poor people. Uh-huh. I know. Uh, but um, so... Jason, Jason rated this one uh, five out of six as well, just like me. Mm-hmm. Which, once again, this is on the Hickman scale, so this is still, you know, a hundred out of six for uh, Gwenpool, for for instance. <laughs> Uh, but yeah these are great issues Dan I mean these were like everything you wanted Hickman to do we're four issues in and he is he's doing it well I am I might make Ian read them he did say he wanted to carry on but I feel like he doesn't know who Mario Mutaga is oh no well yeah that's kind of important I think he, he might know her tangentially from like the films or um, the the the, the cartoon, but I don't mm-hmm. know if. But then to be fair, like you said, she's not been around that long. It's not going to really. I think you can easily, and like Jason said, it's in the, you can easily see that as a standalone sort of idea. So we'll see how it goes. For sure, I'm. I'm it's you know, I think uh, next out the the release schedule is a little bit. <clears throat> Different, so that we're getting not a House of X next week, but we're getting a Powers of X next week. Uh, but in terms of how we're probably reviewing, I think Jason's going to wait until we have two issues and then try to record again. So we'll probably have uh, one of each issue to talk about next time. But uh, in pure story story wise, we're going to have Powers of X three out next week. And I, you know, I am all about that future stuff. But seeing what Moore is up to has got me very uh, antsy here. Uh, I want to know what those three uh, those three heads are thinking. Well, I totally trust Moira. As soon as she saw Xavier, was like, "Yep, he's a dick." As yeah. soon as she saw him, they're like, "She knows, she knows." Well, uh, that's it for for this episode of the podcast that goes snicked. Uh, I believe Jason said this was episode number three ninety four. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Three forty-nine. Uh, so he's got he's got a couple issues on us. Yeah, but we're gonna have to work hard to catch up, Dan. One a week, <laughs> one a day. Yeah, one a day for like the next four years. <laughs> we could do it. Um. But uh, yeah, this was uh, your guest host, uh, Georgie and Dan from uh, the Excalibros. So where can the loyal uh, listeners of the podcast that uh, go snicked? Where can they find us, Dan? Um. At Excalibur's one is our Twitter handle. You can find it from the, through there, or you can do the, um, as you know that this is on Podbean, you can do the podbean.com forward slash Excalibur's, which will get us get to our podcast instead. So if you want to listen to ours first, I totally understand. Um, <laughs> I, can, I can throw shade, Jason's not here. Um, or alternatively, you can iTune it up and just write us into that or google us and we come up so there's a lot of ways to get hold of us and there's also a multitude of ways to get hold of snickcast same thing podbean.com forward class forward class forward slash snickcast gets you the podcast in all of its glory and you can uh tweet at him uh, it at snickcast on twitter and tell him how utterly wrong about wolverine is and that it's not the best wolverine 
uh, Logan is 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 rubbish as a character, and I'm allowed to say that because he's not here. So, or, or he can say how he really should just let us host all of his episodes, and he can go into retirement, and we'll just take over and just change the whole podcast form. We can we can yeah. podcast that goes snicked or or other characters. That's what we'll talk about. Podcast that goes bam would be uh, <laughs> the better one. Um, <laughs> but. Obviously, yeah. we're not, we, that's, that's, that's all joking. We, we love everything that Jason's doing here, of course. Obviously, obviously but now I need to do a podcast that goes bam. <laughs> yes, you can, you can find him, you can talk to him, um, and he has lots of flashback episodes, which are awesome, and he keeps everyone up to date with all of the little Canadian stress balls antics. Um, and if, if, if you like a Laura's Wolverine, his coverage of um, Laura's yeah. Time as Wolverine is awesome. Yes. I don't know what episode that starts with, but it, if you look on Podbean, it has all the front covers. So just scroll down until you see Laura's first front cover and just start from there. Yeah, I think, yeah, we, we're all in agreement that Laura's uh, all-new Wolverine was, was an excellent run. And uh, yes. yeah, Jason did an excellent job. Uh, so, uh, you know, this is a privilege to sort of take take the reins from Jason for, for an episode here. It was a lot of fun. Uh, we hope we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have Jason back on the episode next time. We'll see. Uh, but, Hopefully. <laughs> but uh, this was great, Dan. Uh, always so much fun. And uh, to all the listeners out there, we'll see you next time. Bye. And snacked. There we go. So it'll be up to Jason whether he wants to use that or not. Yeah, it's garbage. Throw it away. Well, I mean, like the and snacked part, not the not the hour and ten minutes we just talked about two issues. <laughs>